Our text for this morning is John 13, verses 18 through 30, and this is the word of Almighty God. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Pray with me, friends. Lord, it is a joy to open your word this day. It is a joy to have sung your praise. It's a joy to be gathered. And we're thankful. Very, very thankful. Lord, now as we just continue in a time of worship with your word open before us, I would pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to know you better from your word. Help us to love you better from your word. Help us to truly see Jesus and rejoice in him. Father, draw people to you, convict us, but encourage us, I pray, to your glory. Do your will. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You know, if you were watching the gospel according to John, like a movie, the scene we're about to see played out in front of us in John 13 would stand out pretty, pretty strongly. I mean, there would have been some really, really high note scenes, right? Some of those healings, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. I mean, those would have been dramatic, bright scenes. But for today, you would hardly be able to find a more solemn, more sorrowful, more deeply disturbing scene. The room would feel dark and just cold as you see one of the close companions of our Lord turn against him, committing the darkest act of treachery ever committed in all of human history. What terrible sadness. What horrible loss. But in the midst of it all, what an amazing Jesus. As you heard from the passage that we just read, this section's about Jesus and Judas. Here we see Judas, one of the 12 disciples, 
coming to the place where he turns from Jesus, is possessed by Satan, and walks out of the room to go get the soldiers. Before we watch this event unfold, I think it's wise for us to look at a few other scriptures about this Judas so we know who in the world we're talking about and we know what's happening in the room the night before Jesus is crucified. Judas Iscariot is one of two men named Judas among the disciples. Isn't that weird? Iscariot probably is a term that tells you what town Judas came from. Like the other 11 disciples, Judas was handpicked by Jesus to be a part of the group of men that were closest to him. Just like the other 11 disciples, Judas traveled with Jesus all over the countryside. Just like the other 11 disciples, Judas saw the miracles that Jesus performed and heard the words Jesus said and experienced the wonders of Jesus' ministry. Just like the other 11 disciples, Judas was given power by Jesus to do miracles like casting out demons when he sent the 70 out on their first mission trip. But unlike the other 11 disciples, Judas never had a true heart for Jesus. Now, rewind about a year. John chapter 6 tells us about a confrontation between Jesus and a crowd of people religious people. It was the day after Jesus fed the 5,000. And in that confrontation, Jesus spoke with clarity and directness, and many people in the crowd were offended. A massive group of people turned away from Jesus. They left him. And maybe this is one of the first moments when Judas found himself really disappointed in Jesus. Because if Judas was one of those guys primarily interested in Jesus for what Jesus could do for him in an earthly way, maybe Judas was upset that Jesus would so carelessly drive away such a large group of potential followers, potential soldiers in his army, or potential citizens in his kingdom, or potential contributors to the money bag. For whatever reason, it's at the moment that the large crowds left Jesus in John chapter 6, a year before the crucifixion, that John tells us this in John 6, 64 and 65. Jesus said, but there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Then down in verse 70, Jesus answered, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. In those words John records for us from Jesus a year ago, we see that not all of the people handpicked by Jesus to travel with him are truly chosen by God to be his followers. Not all of them was given the grace to come to Jesus in faith. Verse 65. And one of the men who remained with Jesus, though chosen by Jesus as a disciple, is truly a devil. And lest you miss it, don't miss it. Jesus has known from the very start exactly what's going on. 
Now, go back to something happened just about a week ago in our timeline. Just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the, jet, from the dead, just before the triumphal entry, right? Just before that, that Palm Sunday, Jesus had a dinner party with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You guys remember that one, right? And it was at this event, Mary poured out a costly perfume over the body of Jesus. And Judas was one of the key voices who scolded Mary for what she had done, for the wasting of that perfume. And John points out to us that Judas made that objection because Judas was a thief, not because he was concerned about the right use of Mary's money. And Jesus rebuked Judas and the others complaining along with him. But I want you to listen to how Matthew tells the story and what comes next, because it plays into this scene. In Matthew 26, 10 to 16, we read, But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. When Jesus rebuked Judas at that little dinner party a week ago, Judas made up his mind. No way was he going to continue on this path. No way is he going to let Jesus put him in his place. No way is he going to continue following Jesus because now the benefits are not equaling the costs in Judas's mind. No way is he going to follow a man who turns away his followers and throws away his money. No way. Judas determined then and there he was through with Jesus. Judas went to the priest took money from the priests and agreed he would hand Jesus over to them. Now, return to the present to our passage. It's Thursday night. The Passover meal's on the table. It's early in the meal, probably the sort of pre-meal section. I hate to say it this way, but it's kind of the appetizer part of the meal. And Jesus has not yet instituted the Lord's Supper, but he has washed the feet of his disciples. He's shown them how to humbly serve by following his example. Even in the middle of the foot washing, Jesus made it clear he knew that not all of the disciples were clean. You got to think Judas was on pins and needles at that moment. You know Jesus, or that Judas hated that humble act of service Jesus performed. Now the final straw is about to come for Judas. So let's watch and let's learn together. And in the process, we're going to find four points. If you're a note taker, you can write four things down that will help you in this passage. Judas is going to be the betrayer. 
And as we watch Jesus deal with him, the Lord will, by grace, strengthen our faith and our love for the Savior. So point number one, embrace the total sovereignty of Jesus. Embrace the total sovereignty of Jesus. I'm going to read for us verses 16 to 19 to set the context here. Truly, truly, I say to you from Jesus, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I'm he. So last week we watched as Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples by humbly washing their feet. And in that act, he depicted the coming cleansing grace that he was going to achieve for his followers through, de- through his death on the cross. And Jesus set for the disciples an example of humble serving And he wraps up the thought by telling the disciples that the ones who love him, who are cleansed by him, who choose to serve and and love others like him, they're going to be blessed. And as we open the passage for today, Jesus adds the thought, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Just after telling the disciples, if you understand what I've taught you, You're going to be blessed if you do what I've taught you to do. Jesus shows us he is fully aware of Judas and Judas's murderous plan. Jesus says, not all of you are going to be blessed by following my example. There's at least one of you who's never going to be blessed because he's not one whom Jesus has chosen. There's one who, though handpicked to walk with the disciples, has never been and will never be a true follower. Jesus knows about Judas. He quotes for us Psalm 41, 9, saying that his friend is close companion who has shared his bread. That friend has turned on him. The phrase, he's lifted up his heel against me, paints a picture of a sign of utter disdain. It's the idea of bringing somebody into your house You care for them over a period of time. Sharing your best with someone, giving to them unselfishly, feeding them, having fellowship with them. But in return, the person you thought to be your friend picks up his foot and just wipes the dirt of his feet on you. Maybe worse, that friend strikes out against you to try to harm you. It's a picture of personal insult rejection and betrayal. And Jesus says, that scripture is going to be fulfilled in me. Why would he talk like this? Jesus is telling the disciples ahead of time what's about to go down. If you're one of the 11 disciples, if you don't know that Judas is a traitor, if you don't have a clue about him, you would be deeply shaken to find out Judas was a traitor. Maybe you'd wonder, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Did did Judas catch Jesus by surprise? Why wasn't Jesus able to see it coming? 
perhaps you might begin to wonder if you were wrong about Jesus because Judas seems to have tricked Jesus. Well, Jesus does away with you thinking like that by telling you before it ever happens exactly what's going to happen. Now, there's two things I want us to notice in this little section. They will magnify for us the greatness and the sovereignty of Jesus. One is the fact that Jesus knows whom he has chosen, and the other is the fact that Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows whom he's chosen. That's a bigger statement, by the way, than Jesus saying he's aware of the character of the disciples. This hints to us of the truth of the doctrine of election in salvation. Jesus knows which among all the people that are with him in that room that night, he knows which one, which ones are among the chosen, which ones are the elect, which ones are predestined to salvation. Back in John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So who will come to Jesus? Answer, the, all of the people the Father gives Jesus, has given Jesus, will come to Jesus. All the Father has given Jesus will come. There's a question. When? When were the elect given to the Son by the Father? It happened before the dawn of time. This is part of the agreement between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before creation ever took place. This is a reference to the eternal covenant of redemption The one who comes to Jesus does so because he has been chosen by God to do so, changed by God, drawn by God. The one who comes is totally saved by God. Well, how do we respond to that? First thing, it should make you praise and glorify Jesus. The Savior is sovereign, friends. He knows all He is over all, and nothing, not one little thing, takes him by surprise. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? If if you are, this should make you thank the Lord, because you wouldn't have come to Jesus had God not reached into your heart and changed you. So thank God for rescuing you. Now, if you're not a believer... You also need to understand that your situation is also your responsibility. God has never made any person sin against their will. God's never pushed anybody into sin. All of our guilt, all of our sin, all that would damn us before God is our own responsibility. God didn't foist it on us. We brought that from our own sin-darkened hearts. Don't blame God if you don't want God. But if you care about where you stand before God, run to Jesus. He will freely pardon you. Here's the good thing. When you do run to Jesus and find his pardon, you can know he sovereignly moved you. 
The second thing to learn in this section is that Jesus' sovereignty extends to everything that happens. Jesus knew Judas was betraying him. Jesus knew, and he could have prevented it. But Jesus, by his will, in accord with God's plan, was willingly walking to the cross. God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God is unlimited. R.C. Sproul used to be fond of saying, if there is even one maverick molecule in all of the universe, then God is not God. But God is God. He is over all. And this is a reason for you and me to praise God and be grateful to be under his favor. So as the point here says, embrace the total sovereignty of Jesus. Let's go further forward in point number two this morning. Receive the gospel to receive God. Receive the gospel to receive God. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Verse 19, Jesus said, I want you all to know, I want you to understand that I know exactly what's going on. So when whatever's going on goes down, you can believe in me because I already knew. You might want to ask yourself, why is believing so important? Why did John say, I'm writing this whole book because I want you to believe? Jesus shows us with one of those double truly statements right here. This is true. This is truly true. This is very true. Jesus draws a little parallel for us. And the concept is, if you receive a servant, you are in essence receiving his master. Receiving a sent one has more to do with your relationship with the sender than with the one sent. This is not a hard concept to grasp. I want you to imagine in a military situation, this is an imaginary military situation, there's a general, he sends orders down to a colonel, but they're carried in the hand of a private. With me so far? Imagine that the colonel reads the orders and says, I'm not following these orders. It is not the private the colonel is rejecting and offending. He's rejecting the general and his orders. Jesus ties that chain, that kind of chain together for us. You want Jesus? Receive the ones Jesus sends. Do you want to be in relationship with God? You've got to receive Jesus. Very soon in our story, Jesus is going to be departing out of this world physically where he would rejoin his Father in heaven. Jesus is going to send the disciples out on mission. It's going to be the job of the disciples to take the message of Jesus into the nations. And to anybody who refuses the gospel that these men preach, anyone who refuses the gospel that that God inspired be written down in his holy word, they're rejecting not the disciples, but God himself. And Jesus saying to receive him is to receive a relationship with God tells us a couple pretty important things. One thing it tells us, as we've seen all through this gospel, is this. Jesus identifies himself as God, God the Son, God in flesh, one with God the Father. And Jesus makes it very plain here. 
There is simply no way for any human being to be in a right relationship with God without coming to God through Jesus. So let's be really, really clear. Do you want God? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want heaven? Receive the gospel. Believe in Jesus. Turn from being the master of your own life. Turn from trusting in self or anybody else and put all of your trust for all of your soul, for all of your eternity in Jesus and Jesus alone. He died to pay for God's people's sins. He died to rescue us. All who come to Jesus in faith are saved. So receive Jesus and be saved. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Chapter 3, John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's go to our third point. Be honest with Jesus. Be honest with Jesus. Verses 21 through the middle of 26 read, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So, even though Jesus is fully in control... His human emotions are still there and very real and very strong. You've got to feel this. A friend. A dear friend is about to turn against Jesus. The horror of the cross is right on the horizon. He's going to be on the cross in less than a day. So Jesus moved deeply cries out and explains to the disciples what I'm talking about it's coming and it's coming right away and one of you is going to betray me the disciples they they look around the room they they start to buzz with conversation who in the world is he talking about who would possibly betray him the other gospels tell us they even start asking Jesus and each other about this you don't mean me right By the way, what would you have to know about yourself to know you ought to ask the question, is it I? Now, Peter, he's sitting somewhere down the table where he can't easily whisper to Jesus. He motions to a guy that they simply refer to as the disciple Jesus loved. This is is John, the writer of this gospel. He doesn't like to use his own name. Peter asks John to ask Jesus who he means. By the way, can you picture this? All the disciples are kind of clamoring about, what's he, boy, who, who, who is this? Who are you talking about? And Peter's over there going, ask him who. <laughs> ask him, you, ask him who. 
John gets it. Now, you know these guys, they were, again, they were kind of laying on their sides, right? Left arm down on a cushion, reaching up to the table with their right hand. John is at Jesus' right hand. He's right in front of Jesus. So John can kind of lean back, sort of roll back and say, who is it? Who are you talking about? Which one? No, no. Who would do this? Jesus tells John, the one who's going to betray him is the one to whom he's going to hand a piece of food once he's dipped it. By the way, this is why you know this is happening early in the meal because the whole dipping of the, the food, this is before the major part of the Passover meal takes place. But there's some shared food, you know, again, shared bread, shared sauce on the table. This is not, you know, a, like, again, you get your spinach and artichoke dip, right? You, you dip the chip. And if you're really sweet people, you go, here, try this. That's, that's what's happening here. That's what this meal was like. Lord's Supper hasn't been instituted yet. Well, this is significant. Not one of the 11 disciples around the table understood that Judas is the one who was plotting against Jesus. Do you know how how sly he must have been for them not to get it? Do you know how good a friend they must have believed Judas to be to Jesus for not one of them to suspect him? Guys that were walking around together for three years. Peter's flabbergasted. John was clueless. Judas thought he had everybody snowed, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew who, he knew when, he knew how. Knew it all. Jesus could see through Judas' hypocrisy. He could see right into Judas's heart of hearts. He knew what Judas was up to. Can I just say to you this morning, Jesus can see into your heart too. He knows you inside and out. He knows if you're being real with him or if you're playing the religious game. He knows if you love him or if you are just after some sort of benefit you think you can gain by pretending to be religious. He knows your heart. You can't hide anything from him. So if you are by any chance trying to hide something from Jesus, if you think you're faking God out, think again, please. You can't fool God. And Jesus is the God you can't fool. And if you can't fool him, be honest with him. There's really no other way. In our growth class, when Bill was helping us think about praying and using scripture to pray, talked about the fact that sometimes praying a lament, sometimes admitting your pain, your fear, your struggle, that comes out of walking through the Psalms and praying through them to the Lord. Don't ever hide something from God. It doesn't work. 
But now comes the darkest moment of all. We've seen Jesus is aware of what's happening. We've seen that he sees into men's hearts, even when other people have no clue. But now comes the point that if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this ought to chill you to the bone. Fourth point. Beware rejecting the love of God. Beware rejecting the love of God. Look at verse 26 again to the end. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So Jesus dips the morsel. You can picture this. He handed it to Judas. And at that moment, big things took place. But before we see the big things, keep in mind, nobody around this table beyond Jesus and Judas understood that Judas was going to be the traitor. Verse 28 says, when Jesus sent Judas out of the room right after saying, somebody's going to betray me, you go. They're like, wonder what he's doing. They didn't get it. Because Judas was Jesus' friend. Jesus sees people's hearts where others can't. Now watch this unfold. Jesus hands Judas the food. You can pretty much surmise where Judas was at the table from this. If John was right in front of Jesus and Jesus could, while reclining, hand somebody the food, Judas is within one person of Jesus. He's probably at Jesus's left. That means that Judas was in a position of high honor. Though Jesus knew exactly what was happening, he still treated Judas like the dearest of friends. When John says to Jesus, who's going to betray you? Jesus didn't just say, it's this guy. Instead, Jesus signified the man by handing him a dipped morsel of food. What you should know is that dipping the morsel and handing it to somebody was a sign of friendship. It was a kindness. Jesus chose to point Judas out to John with an act of honor. You think for a second, you can see that what Jesus is doing is one Last offer of friendship to Judas. Though Judas had already taken the money from the priest, he doesn't have to go through with it yet. God is not going to force Judas to do anything here. And Jesus, even though he knows Judas's heart, even though he knows what Judas will do in response, Jesus reaches out his hand to Judas, holding a genuine token of friendship. It's as if Jesus is saying to Judas, I still love you as my dear friend. I still offer you the chance to be my disciple. Judas, turn from your plan. Come to me. You'll be forgiven. 
for a brief moment, while the morsel is in Jesus' hand, Judas has a choice to make. Jesus is offering friendship, but Judas, full of evil, full of selfishness, full of bitterness, full of greed, takes the morsel. He plays the part of the loving disciple to the very end, but at that very moment when Judas acts as the greatest hypocrite ever to live, taking the offer of love from Jesus while still plotting to betray the Lord, something terrible happens. Satan, the devil himself, enters Judas. When Judas turned down Jesus' final offer of love and forgiveness, Satan took over in the heart of Judas, and Judas's doom was sealed. Jesus tells Judas, go on and do what he intends to do. Jesus is not condoning what Judas will do. But he's telling Judas, stop playing around and get it over with. What you're going to do is not a tomorrow thing, Judas. It's tonight. Go. Get it over with. What you're going to do, do it faster. Do it quickly. And all the other disciples around the table missed it. They think Jesus sent Judas on an errand. But Judas knows And John wraps up the section with a note of true sorrow, true tragedy. Judas gets up, he goes out, and it is night. You know, it's nighttime from when the meal has to be eaten, but John's being spiritual here. It is dark. Satan is walking Judas to the place to get the soldiers. The plan is hatched. The pieces are set in motion. Just a few hours from now, evil men are going to murder the Son of God, and they will murder him aided by the information brought to them by Jesus' own dear friend. But they will not do anything he did not see coming. Jesus is in control, but the tragedy The darkness, the night of this event is colossal. To you who don't yet know Jesus, because I still believe I, it just, in any room full of people, someone may not know the Lord. Listen to me. I want to draw a point of application for you. Beware rejecting the love of God. Today, right now, Jesus offers to you the very love and friendship he offered to Judas when he held out that morsel. He offers you his love. He offers you grace. He offers you forgiveness. He will happily receive you into God's family and cleanse you of your sin if you will just come to him, turn from loving sin Just ask for his grace. Just put your faith in Jesus. Just believe he will give you eternal life. But if you turn away from this gift, be afraid. You don't know when it will be offered again. You don't know if it will be offered again. Judas turned away that one last time and Satan entered him. 
Judas's fate was sealed. He didn't come back. Tremble at the possibility that this day, this moment, could be your last chance to come to know Jesus. Tremble at the possibility that your very next breath could be your last breath. Don't be a tragedy like Judas. Know that Jesus knows your heart. Know that he can see right through you. Don't be destroyed. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus. Find life in Jesus. And for all of you who know Jesus, let this cause you to believe. Let this cause you to worship. Let this cause you to be overwhelmed by gratitude for Jesus. Jesus is sovereign. He's God in the flesh. He gave us grace. He invited us even though we, look, we know we've rebelled against him. And he gave us grace. Not only that, he gives us the message of grace. He gives us the gospel He sends us out with that message. And when people respond to the message that we bring, they're responding not to us, but to God, to the God who sent us. So may we be faithful to love Jesus and to carry the good news of Jesus' love to our neighbors and to the nations. Let's pray together, friends. Lord God, we bow and we say thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his love. We thank you for the gospel. As we pray now, Lord, we begin by saying thank you that you are a sovereign God. Thank you, God, that there's not a single part of this world, this universe, that you don't understand and that you don't have power over. We may not always understand why you do things the way that you do them, but we will absolutely always believe that you're the master. You're the God in charge of all. And we thank you for your sovereignty and our salvation. The fact is, Lord, not one of us would have ever come to you had you not changed our hearts. And so we give you all the praise, 100% of the glory, for our salvation and for the salvation of anyone because salvation is from you from start to finish. Thank you. We worship you. We praise you. Lord, we're grateful that you send us with the message and and that the people, that the response of people to our proclamation is not a response to us, but it's a response to you because the one who receives our message, the gospel you've given us, receives Jesus. The one who receives Jesus receives you, Father. And it's to you. It's all about you. It's all to your glory. It's none of us. We're not the ones responsible for changing lives or, or saving souls. Help us to be faithful messengers. And God, thank you that you know our hearts deep down. Right now, God, we commit this. We will not try to hide anything or pretend anything. Just 
lay ourselves before you honestly. And God, I pray for those who are hearing the message, who don't know you, that they will be terrified of rejecting your grace. Instead, I pray, Lord, that you are absolutely enlivening hearts and drawing people to yourself. Thank you, God, for doing that for all who know you. And We pray that you will help us to be faithful to carry the message to the world that others might hear it too. All in all, Lord, we just worship Jesus. Thank you, God, for your great, great love. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.